Take your Bibles, please, and turn them to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. I love that song because that should be the mindset of every believer. Um, we have to surrender our will to His will. If we've been bought by the blood of Jesus, born again into the family of God, it's no longer about what we want or what our plans and desires are, but now what He plans for us and what His desires are. We are bought and paid for with a price. If you believe that this morning, say amen. So my life is no longer my own. I must surrender all unto the Lord Jesus. Now if you're here this morning and you're lost, you need to surrender your heart and life to the Lord as well. You need to trust in Christ by faith for the forgiveness of your sins and be born again. What a powerful, powerful song that is. This morning I want to talk to you about the sanctified saints. We're going to read together 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And I want to talk to you about three or four things I want us to see in these verses. Starting with verse number 9, the Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or, nor uh, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 11. Verse number 11 makes me want to shout. It says, And such were, everybody say were. And such were some of you. That's where you used to be. That's how you used to think. That's how you used to live. He says, Such were some of you, but ye are washed. If you're thankful for the washing, um, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say amen this morning. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray together. Father God, we again love you. Thank you so much for all you've done. Thank you, Lord, for these services that we've already experienced this morning, this powerful worship that, Lord, we've been able to be a part of. Thank you for doing your work among your people. Lord, I'm thankful that your word is truth and we can trust in it. Lord, I'm asking that you would be with me in this presentation as you've already been with me in my preparation. And I'm asking now, Lord, that you move me completely out of the way and you use me for your honor and for your glory. Holy Spirit, would you fill me up today and pour me out into the lives of these people, speaking your truth by your power in Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Now, the sanctified saints is what we're talking about today. But before we do that, I want to define our terms. I want, to, I want all of us to be on the same page as to what saints and sanctified mean. So let's start with saints. Now, uh, you hear it all throughout the New Testament, uh, the word saints. Paul uses it several times, over and over and over. Now, we've been led to believe for a long time that a saint, uh, that word is set aside for a select few of extraordinary believers who live their lives for the Lord. Let me say something to you. If you're here this morning and you've placed your trust in Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God has done a work in your heart um, and that's on the inside, that's made a difference on the outside. If you've been blood-bought and born again, if you've believed on Jesus, I want you to know this morning, you are considered a saint. And what is a saint? Well, a saint is a holy one, one that God considers to be sacred. 
hallowed or holy. That's what a saint is. You say, Russell, how do you know that? That we're all considered saints. Well, I like what the Apostle Paul says in many of the introductions to his letter th- letters throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 1, in his introduction to the letter to the church at Ephesus, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, Ephesians 1.1, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So he says to all the saints, not to a select few, not to a certain crowd that's extraordinary believers. He says to all the believers, all the blood-bought, all the born-again, to those at Ephesus, the saints. Can you say amen to that? So if you're here today and you've trusted in Christ by faith and you know you've been born again, you know the Holy Spirit of God's done a work in your life, I want you to know God considers you a saint. God considers you to be uh, one of His holy ones. He says it again in Philippians 1.1 and then again in Colossians 1.2 to the introduction of those letters to the church at Philippi and the church at Colossae. He calls them the saints. And if you're here... And again, you've been born again, you are the saints, the holy ones, the ones God considers holy, and we'll see why that is in a minute. Now, let's look at sanctified. A lot of times, as children of God, that's, we've been born again for a while, or we've been in church for a long time, we use what I like to call Christianese. We say words like sanctified and glorified and justified, and we throw out all these big words, and a lot of times people who hadn't been in church, or especially those who have never trusted in Jesus, they don't understand what these words mean, and I, I'm convinced that a lot of believers don't know what these words mean. Amen? So we want to know what we're speaking of when the Bible says sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, in a nutshell, sanctification is about being set apart for the purpose of God. Now, how many of you know the Bible says right here that we as believers are sanctified? We have been set apart for God's purpose. Isn't that amazing? See, that continually blows me away. That the sovereign God of the universe that we've been singing about, the one who, listen, like the song said, the planets were formed in the vapor of his breath. The God who spoke and a hundred billion galaxies came into existence. That same big God who does big things wants to use little me to accomplish his plan and purpose in this world. He wants to use you. That's what He saved you for. He sanctified you. He set you apart for His purpose. So today, I'm talking to the blood-bought, born-again believer who has been sanctified as saints to fulfill God's purpose. Now, let's look at three points in this text of Scripture this morning. First of all, I want us to notice what uh, the Apostle Paul talks about in verses 9 and 10. I've called it the past of the believer. How many of you know you've got a past? And I've got a past, and we all have a past. That's why we need God's grace. And he makes it clear here of the past that some of us have in verses 9 and 10. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. He gives nine separate sins here that I want to take a close look at. He says, first of all, fornicators. 
The word used here in the Greek for fornicators, it means one who indulges in a sexually impure lifestyle. That's a fornicator. Now to know what a sexually impure lifestyle is, we must first of all know what God's Word says is sexually pure, a sexually pure lifestyle. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 4, the Bible says plainly that, listen to me now, marriage is honorable before God. Amen? And that the marital bed is undefiled. Now, what's that mean? That means that God honors marriage as the relationship between one man and one woman. And in the confines of marriage, God has given the gift of sex. And so when you choose to live a sexual, immoral life uh, outside the bonds of marriage, then the Bible calls you a fornicator. Are you hearing me? And so we need to understand, listen, uh, when, when we look in a world today that sees uh, fornication as no big deal, as the popular thing, as just what everybody's doing, God's Word says it's wrong. And it's sin. And that should not even be named for the child of God. Look what else. He says fornicators or idolaters. What does that mean? Well, someone who is an idolater means that they uh, have they worship idols. Now, automatically, when we think of idols, usually what we think about is the golden calf that was created by the children of Israel. Then they were in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and, 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 and they set up that golden calf and began to worship. And so we get in our minds that that's the idol worship that's being spoken of here in Scripture. Folks, I want you to know something. You don't have to form a golden calf or whittle you out a totem pole and bow down and worship it as your God for there to be idols in your life and in my life. An idol is anything you put in God's place. Anything. And these can be very good things. Amen? But I fear many times we trade the good thing for the great thing. We worship the good thing and leave out the great thing. Idols can be anything you put before the Lord. Listen, it can be your spouse. Some people may put their spouse before the service of God and before the worship of the Lord, and that's wrong. If you're doing that, the Bible says that's wrong. Let me say something else. Your kids. You can put your kids before the Lord and make them an idol. Your job, you can put it before the Lord and make it an idol. Your hobbies, you can put it before the Lord and make it an idol. Your possessions, you can put those things before the Lord and make them an idol. And so the Bible says that idolaters, um, that's wrong in the, in the eyes of God. Those who put those, whatever it is, before the Lord. You fill in the blank for what you struggle with. Nor adulterers. We know what that is. Someone who is an adulterer is someone who is unfaithful to their spouse, their husband or their wife. Uh, or effeminate. The word, for, the word effeminate there, it, it means those who um, are a part of the homosexual lifestyle. Then he says something else. He says thieves. That's the swindlers and the cheats. Somebody who's always trying to get over on someone else in some way. Then he talks about the covetous. Uh, those who are covetous in nature. That means they are driven by their greed. Listen, what they can gain, that means everything to them. And whoever they have to step on or, or, or do wrong to get what they want, they're willing to do it. That's the covetous. Then he talks about the drunkards. Uh, the drunkards are those whose life is controlled by alcohol. Then he talks about revilers. And he says, uh, the Greek word here, I like how it puts it, it's the foul mouth slanderer. That's the reviler. Have you ever been around some foul mouth slanderers? 
Yeah, me too. We see them in our world all the time. Then he talks about extortioners, those who rob people, uh, not just with the gun, but sometimes with a pen and piece of paper. Can you say amen? Those are extortioners. And so what's he saying? Well, he, he, he lists all of these nine sins to make a point. Look what he says. I like how he puts this. He says they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who habitually live in these sins, the Bible says they don't have eternal life. You say, oh, Brother Israel, you can't judge them. Let me say something to you. I'm not judging them. I'm not saying that. The Word of God says that. Now, I know what some of you are automatically what you're thinking. I preached a message on this verse of Scripture once upon a time, and I was leaving. A dear sister in Christ stopped me. She said, Brother, I've got a question for you. She said, if it's true that all of these sins that you listed, they don't have eternal life, does that mean David who committed adultery, does he not have eternal life? Well, let me tell you what I told her. Listen to me, folks. In any of these sins, the child of God can choose to disobey God and do any of these things. Do you know that? We can. All of us can. Let me, let me prove it to you in Scripture. Go down to verse number 12. In the same chapter. Look what Paul says. Paul says to the believer, he says, All things, everybody say all things, are lawful unto me. He says, But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So what he's saying is, there's no law that says, I, as a believer, I can't do anything. But all the things that I can do don't mean it's the best thing to do. And they're not expedient for me or for others. I'm not going to edify myself or edify my brothers and sisters in Christ by things I choose to do. Let me put it to you like this. One great pastor once said that when God saves you as a believer, he does not keep you, he does not make it impossible for you to sin, but he does make it unenjoyable. That's good. And that's exactly what happens. Let me tell you what happened in David's life. David chose to do what he knew was wrong. He committed adultery. He committed murder to cover up the adultery. Then he lied about all of it. And the Bible says that David was the man after God's own heart. But let me tell you what all else happened. Listen, what happened in the life of David has to happen in the life of every so-called believer today when they sin. Listen, two things. First of all, there's going to be conviction of that sin. You hear me? Why do I say that? Well, John 16, 8 says that the Holy Spirit of God convicts and reproves the world of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. How many know when you got saved, your sins were forgiven, put as far as the east is from the west? The Bible says your name was written down in the Lamb's book of life, but it also says you were indwelled by the precious Holy Spirit and He baptized you into the body of Christ. So now the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. If you believe that, say amen. He lives in you if you've trusted in Jesus. And so what happens when we sin? Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit becomes that alarm that lets you know you've done wrong. He convicts you. When I do things I know are not pleasing unto the Lord, nobody has to tell me that. The Holy Spirit of God lets me know full well when I, I'm, I'm, I'm mean and nasty to my wife and I have to apologize to her and get forgiveness from him. The Holy Spirit lets me know full well when I'm not being the witness that I should be. He convicts my heart of that. 
Like I said, it becomes that alarm system. Just like when you wake up for an alarm clock in the morning. That alarm clock sits, set, goes off at my house around 5 o'clock in the morning. And man, that's... And I hear that. And sometimes I want to take that sucker and just beat it to death. Right? Because laying in that bed feels real good to my flesh. When you're all snuggled up in them covers, man, and the covers have accepted you as one... Right? And then an alarm clock goes off. Sometimes I don't want to listen to it. The Holy Spirit is the same way with us spiritually. We can sin and do what pleases the flesh and feels good to the flesh. And then that Holy Spirit, He sets off that alarm. And it, man, it gets loud to the believer. But let me tell you what happens sometimes. What we should do in those moments is right then and there get before the Lord and say, Lord, I blew it here. I'm confessing this sin to you because I know when I confess my sin to you, you forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, according to 1 John 1, 9. That's what we ought to do. But let me tell you what we do many times. We ignore it. It's like we hit the snooze button. And we go on and do what feels good to the flesh. We go on and do what's pleasing unto us instead of doing what's pleasing unto the Lord. And when that happens, listen, chastisement takes place. For the believer, there'll be conviction, but there'll also be chastisement. Let me tell you why. Go to the book of Hebrews with me, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And look at verse number 5. It says it like this. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is speaking unto you as unto children. How many of you know if you've been born again into God's family, He sees you as adopted sons and daughters. You are His children. He says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. For whom the Lord loves, watch this, He chastens. Now no, watch what he says. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So what the Bible is saying is this. If you're a child of God and you choose. Now how many know you don't fall into sin? I hear that said all the time, but you don't. Do you know you don't fall into adultery? You jump into it. Do you know that, that you don't fall into drunkenness? You jump into it. Do you know you don't fall into any of those sins? Any sin. You don't fall into it. You choose to do that as an act of your own free will. All of us do. But now let me say something. Once you've done that, there'll be conviction from the Holy Spirit and then there'll be chastisement from your Heavenly Father. Why? Because your Heavenly Father loves you so much, He don't want to see you continue down that path. A lot of people think that God is some gray-haired old fuddy-duddy sitting a million miles away somewhere on a throne that don't want you to have any good time. You don't want you to enjoy your life. Let me tell you something. When God says, Thou shalt... He's talking about the things that you should do so that you might lead a happy life. When God says thou shalt not, He's talking about things you shouldn't do because He knows how life is supposed to be lived and He wants what's best for you. 
He's not trying to be a cosmic killjoy. He's trying, he is a loving father who teaches us which way to go and which way not to go. And I want to tell you something. For the believer, there'll be conviction and there'll be chastisement. You may choose to sin and get into anything that we've already mentioned this morning, but I'll tell you this. For the believer, he's going to convict you. He's going to chastise you. And I believe with all my heart, if you don't turn from the way you're going, God will take you completely out of this world. Let me tell you why. Because you become an offense to him. You play a very dangerous game when you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the chastisement of the Lord and just keep doing your own thing and choose not to repent and turn back to the Lord as a child of God. Now, the Apostle Paul says right here in 1 Corinthians 6, he says that's how some of you were. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If you say you've been born again, but that's still where you are, habitually living in these things over and over and over again, the Bible says you don't have eternal life. Something's wrong there. You need to check and see whom you've placed your faith in. He says such were some of you. Watch this. That's the past of the believer. But now let me tell you something, folks. Listen. Two things that I want you to know about your past. First of all, remember your past. You hear me? It's not a bad thing to remember your past. It's a good thing. Let me tell you why. First of all, it keeps you thankful. Man, I remember where I used to be. The lifestyle I used to live... I could pick out a few of those things that Paul listed and say, that's where I was. And so now, when I look back and remember where Jesus found me, that makes me all the more grateful for what he has done and is doing in my life. Amen. Let me tell you what else it does. It keeps me from wanting to go back there. It scares me to death. I shudder at the thought of going back to where I used to be. Living that life of addiction, living that life of no peace, no purpose, no joy, just existing, not really living. I want nothing to do with that old life. And every time I think about it and remember it, it scares me to death to fall back into those old things. I don't want it. It keeps me thankful. Let me tell you what else. It also keeps me from getting on my high horse. Because I think that happens a lot of times in Baptist churches. How about you? Most Baptists are so proud they can strut while sitting down. Let me tell you something. Nobody needs to sit up on their spiritual high horse and look down their nose at someone else. Nobody. And when I remember my past, I begin to see and to realize, man, except for the grace of God, there go I. I can't look down at the drunkard except for the grace of God, there go I. I can't look down on the adulterer except for the grace of God, there go I. I can't look down on anybody and you can't either. Except for God's grace, that's me. So what am I saying? We're all just a bunch of sinners that need the grace of God. 
So don't think you're any better than anybody else because you're not. Let me say one more thing. Don't think you're any, any better than anybody else because of what kind of car you drive or house you live in or clothes you wear either. That stuff is evil. And it turns people from the gospel. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all need Jesus. He's available for all. You're no better than nobody, but you're no worse either. I don't want to give you a complex either. Nobody's worse than anybody either. Amen? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching. You ain't no worse. You ain't no better. We're all just people. So let, let me say this. Remember your past, but don't live in your past either. I heard a story one time about the great NASCAR driver, Dale Earnhardt. And it was said that Dale Earnhardt was given his first job in NASCAR, and his first few races he didn't do very well. Matter of fact, he was close to the back. He wasn't at the front. And I think by the end of his career, when he died, he had won, I think, seven championships in NASCAR. Some regard him as the greatest NASCAR driver that's ever lived. Now, I've heard it said that after his first two or three races, his father, which was his crew chief, came up to him after a race, wrenched into his car while Dale was still sitting in the driver's seat, grabbed the rearview mirror and jerked it off the window and threw it across the parking lot. And, and it said that, that Dale asked his father, he said, why did you do that? He said, son, if you keep looking behind you, you'll never win the race. Now, let me tell you some of your problem, and it's been my problem from time to time. You are living and dwelling in your past so much, you can't win your race. You can't run the race that God has put in front of you. You can't fulfill your purpose because you're so worried about what you did yesterday or last week or last month or last year or 10 years ago. Get over it. My goodness, if it's under the blood, it's under the blood. You have been washed. I'm going to tell you something, the blood of Jesus is better than oxyclean. It gets all the stain out. Quit dwelling in that old stuff. Remember it, yes. But remember it so that you might be thankful. Remember it so that you might guard yourself and not go back to where you were. But I want to tell you, don't live there. If you dwell in your past, it will hinder your present and completely mess up your future. Quit living in your past. My gosh, we've all got one. By God's grace, we've made it. That's the past of the believer. Look at the position of the believer. He also says that you are washed. First number 11 says you have been sanctified. You've been set apart for God's purposes. Now I want you to know something. There's three uh, different uh, aspects that I want to look at as far as sanctif sanctification goes. First of all, I want to talk to you about positional sanctification. And this is a big one. Positional sanctification represents God's work in your life. Are you hearing me? It's something God does. At the moment of conversion, God changes your position. How many of you know, before Jesus, before I trusted in Christ and was born again by faith, let me tell you something, I was outside of Christ. 
The Bible, the, book, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, I was outside the promises of God, outside the commonwealth of Israel. I was outside the Lord completely. Oh, but listen. When I trusted in Jesus by faith, the Bible says then I was put in Christ. I am now in Christ and Christ is in me. And that happens instantaneously at conversion. Your position changes. You say, brother, if that's true, about the best thing I've ever heard. Well, it's true. You may tell you how I know it's true. Not because I said it, because God's word says it. Go to Romans chapter 4. Look there with me. Romans chapter 4. The Bible talks about Abraham's righteousness. And it says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So let me ask you this. How was Abraham declared righteous before God? I'm going to ask you again. How was Abraham declared righteous before God? He believed God. He placed his faith in who God is and what God said. Now, what does that mean for us? I don't have time to go through Romans chapter 4. I want you to go this week and look for it yourself. But skip down to verse number 22. The Bible says, And therefore it was imputed to him, it was imputed to Abraham. The righteousness of God was imputed on his behalf. Watch this. It was imputed to him for righteousness. Verse number 23, not that it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So let me ask you something. Abraham is counted righteous before the Lord because he placed his faith in what God says and who God is. And he says also for us, we are counted righteous to the Lord before the Lord when we place our trust in Jesus. Are you seeing that? At that moment, you are considered the righteousness of God. To be imputed, it's an accounting term. It means to be added to your account. And so the moment you trust in Jesus, when you're born again, right then and there, the righteousness of Christ is put on your account. Praise God, the blood has been applied. Can you say amen? amen? Sins have been washed. You've been considered righteous. Your position has changed. You went from being outside Christ to being in Christ. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, For therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Amen. Your position changed. That's positional righteousness. That's what God does. I'm thankful for it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. But not only do I want you to see positional sanctification, that happens at conversion, but I also want you to know about progressive sanctification. That's talking about our maturing in the Lord. If, if positional sanctification represents God's work in our lives, progressive sanctification represents our work, our obedience unto the Lord. See, I am born again into the body of Christ when I place my faith in Jesus. How many of you remember that time in your life? You remember when the Holy Spirit of God convicted your heart of sin? You know you need to save and you trusted in Jesus. And when you trusted him right then and there, I don't know about you, but peace came to me. Peace that has not left. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ was imputed on my behalf. 
That's God's work for us. But now, listen, folks, that just began a journey. A journey that we're all still on. <laughs> Amen? That began a journey of us growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That, that began uh, us, listen to me, maturing in our faith day by day. See, I want to be more like Jesus today than I was last week. I want to be more like Jesus next week than I am today. That's progressive sanctification. That's us growing in the things of God. The Bible puts it like this. We grow from uh, glory to glory. How? Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That means as we continually get a hold of the truth of the Word of God and we start applying that by faith to our life and through the help of the Holy Spirit, we become more and more and more like Christ. Woo! I love to see people grow in Jesus. I love to see you fathers with your Bible in hand coming in this church with your family behind you. Praise the Lord. I love to see you Sunday school teachers excited and fired up about teaching your children my children, our children, the truth of the Word of God. I love to hear you pray and just give all honor and glory to the Lord Jesus. I love to see you excited about missions. I love to see you growing in your faith. I love to see you loving people, praying for people, helping people, being the hands and feet of Christ. That's what does it for me as a pastor. That's what really means something. It's progressive sanctification as we are maturing in our faith. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul makes this very plain. And he uses the illustration of us, be, first of all, being babes in Christ, and then growing to being young men, and then growing uh, once and for all to being fathers. I've got several fathers of the faith that I still look up to. Men that I respect highly. I want to be a father in the faith. That's what we all ought to aspire to. Not just remain where we are, but continually grow so that we might only, listen, be useful to God in our own individual lives, but help others grow in Christ as well. Progressive sanctification. Read, uh, look for me please, Brother Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Now we've seen this many times, but I just love this verse. So good. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Then he says in the second verse, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's the picture here? The picture here is us progressively being sanctified to become what God wants us to be. Not being conformed to the world that's around us, but being transformed by the word of God to be what God wants. To ultimately be like Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. So my purpose and your purpose is to become like Jesus day in, day out, as we grow in our faith. 
Man, as you come to church in your Sunday school class and get a hold of truth and apply that to your life, you can grow in your faith. Can you say amen? When you're in service, it's just like this. When we're in the presence of God with the people of God and the place of God and the word of God, you can grow in your faith. Can you say amen? amen? Daily in your quiet time, when you get alone with Jesus all by yourself, say, Lord, speak to me. I want to listen. Listen, you can grow in your faith. Here little. There little. We grow from glory to glory. Let me give you one more. Positional sanctification, progressive sanctification. Let me give you this one. Perfect sanctification. Go with me to the book of 1 John, brother. 1 John chapter number 2. Excuse me, 1 John chapter number 3 and verse number 2. 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Watch this. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. You ever thought about that? Every time I think about that, I get happy. Because there's coming a time when I will no longer be hindered by this flesh, but I will forever be like Jesus. Are you hearing me? That's what you have to look forward to too. Our perfect sanctification is a culmination of our positional sanctification. Perfect sanctification Listen, it's just the realization of positional sanctification. We were put in Christ and Christ was put in us at the time of conversion. But all of that is going to be made real to us one day when we will be like Him. Right now we're hindered by this flesh, but praise God, one day I'll have a body just like He is. You hear me? I ain't going to need these. Listen. I'm not going to be hindered by space, time, or matter. You ever thought about that? Because when we see Jesus in his resurrected body, he was not hindered by space, time, or matter. I mean, he was doing stuff like walking through walls. He would be here one minute and then on the road to Damascus the next minute, or the road to Emmaus the next minute. He would appear before his disciples and disappear just like that. I'm like Dr. Jeremiah. He said that if God put any more about our resurrected bodies in Scripture, that's all we'd think about. So he gave us just enough just to whet our appetite. Perfect sanctification. Holy, completely holy before the Lord. That happens in heaven. Now, that's the position of the believer. I want to look at one more thing and I'm done very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the power of the believer. Watch. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Watch this now. By the Spirit of our God. How do we continually grow in our faith? progressively be sanctified before the Lord? How do we mature and be what God wants us to be here? 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it alone. You can't either. We must die to the flesh, walk in the Spirit, so that we might be what God wants us to be. If you believe it today, say amen. amen. Everybody stand together. This is your invitation. Some of you just need to be saved today. And you know that there's never been a time in your life when you've been born again. You know that. And God's been convicting your heart about it. He's been tugging at your heart. And you know that just something ain't right because you see the difference in everybody else, but you just don't see it in you. Well, I was once there with you. I could see in everybody else's life what I was missing. Godly men and women of God around me, I could see it. I could see it plainly, but I knew I didn't have it. Let me say something to you. Jesus loves you today. Amen. And he's not hiding from you today. And he wants to save you today. I don't care who you are. He wants to save you. He's got a great purpose and plan for you. And I don't want you to miss out on it. You may be here and you say, Brothers, I know I've been born again, but I'm still struggling in my life with being what God wants me to be. Join the crowd. Don't we all? I've said it before, I'll say it again. The church is not a museum for saints where we all look perfect at all times, it's a hospital for sinners. All of us being straightened out by the Word of God and the grace of God. So whatever you need today, you just may want to come and talk to the Lord about something that's bothering you. This altar is a great place to do. I just believe in a good old-fashioned altar experience where you do business with God. Now, why do I believe that? Because it's worked for me. When you get sincere with God, He gets sincere with you. So today, you do what you need to do. Maybe you just want to come pray for a lost loved one. Problems in your family. Problems at your workplace. Whatever you need today, he's able. Brother, play for us. If you need the Lord, you come.